Hello and welcome to Wizard Studies. I'm Audrey. And I'm Katie. And today we are talking about the first of a series of movies that were mostly big letdowns, but <laughs> have some really great moments. AKA, yeah. we're talking about Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone circa 2001. Yes. Um, wow. This movie feels... I was, like, watching it, and I was like, oh, it's so 90s, but I guess it is in this century. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we're, this is the start of our movie rewatch series. I think we decided we're going to do a movie a month, I guess, for, like, the next eight months, I think is what we decided. So we're starting with Sorcerer's Stone, going all the way through to part two, and we're going to talk about, maybe I noticed a lot of things that I hadn't noticed before. I don't know the last time I actually sat down and, like, watched this movie I feel like a lot of times when I put Harry Potter movies on I just put them on and am doing something else you know so I really like sat down and watched it I we tried to go back and go through the book beforehand to really pick out the differences the choices and I do think that the first two are going to be a lot more positive than the rest of them yeah I mean Chris Columbus definitely had an easier job than some of the later directors but I also think I also think he did the best job, but we can talk about that kind of maybe at the end. Yeah, we can have a retroactively. Yeah, yeah. I think it's. uh, I know I watched this a couple summers ago, but I really don't. I watched it like with a bunch of people, and I really don't think I paid much attention to it. There were a lot of things I noticed, good and bad. Yeah. And I honestly, I really, really enjoyed it. I know I feel like I grape on the movies a lot. But every time I watch them, I enjoy watching them just because even when they're so different from the books, like I kind of enjoyed the getting mad and I kind of, there's so many good quotes. And so I I had a really good time, especially with how damn, damn cute these kids are. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I'm just, I'm excited, like I said, to actually go back and watch them because we both kind of touched on Whenever I watch it, I'm kind of just, like, quoting along with the movie, Mm -hmm. pointing out the mistakes, laughing at the bad moments, but, like, actually trying to take them at face value and really watch and look into, like, the details. It should be really fun. And I'm really, I'm going to do a reread with the rewatch. So I'm going to read every book before the movie, which I'm also really excited about because I haven't done a reread, an actual read. I re-listen, like, all the time but a reread probably since my sophomore year of college so looking forward to that as well yeah so before we get started though we do just want to remind you that we have our patreon launch coming up 10 days from the date of release for this episode so july 31st make sure you go get yourself on patreon subscribe i don't know support i don't know what the patreon become a patron yeah like what's the verb besides become a patron patronize but patron sounds like really right it's like <laughs> dual meaning there yeah. um so go support us tell your friends um if you want more info on that you can just go to our patreon when it's live and also we talked more in depth about it in the last episode but i think this is going to be a bit of a long episode by our estimations so i think we're just going to jump right in in the first Mm -hmm. section we're going to talk just briefly about the casting decisions of some of the main characters so katie take it away 
Yeah, so I'm going to start out talking with Mr. Daniel Radcliffe himself. Um, Overall, like, I think maybe Audrey mentioned this, or maybe this was before we actually started recording, but the kids are all just so damn cute. They really are. Um, Daniel Radcliffe is adorable. I do have some problems with him acting in this movie. (laughs) I definitely think he's the weakest of the three of the trio in this movie. Mm -hmm. I don't want to speak about the other ones. But in this one, he just... I mean, they're kids. Like, he was, what, 10 or 11? Like, I think Emma Watson was 9 when she got cast. But here, um, Daniel and Rupert were, like, 10 and 11. Or both 10 or something like that. Either way, they're young kids. So I don't want to, like, criticize his acting and harp on it because he's a kid. But I definitely think he was probably the weakest of the three. I mean, and then just kind of talking about his physical features. So obviously his eyes are not green. And then there's a whole story about the contacts, <laughs> being, him being allergic to the green contacts that they tried to have him wear. And then his hair is, like, literally the opposite of messy in this movie. Like, it's always just, like, straight hanging down. I, when I was looking at his hair, it just kind of looked, this might sound really mean and I apologize, but it looked just like, you know when Lego figures you had that little, like, <laughs> hair piece that you put on? Like, his hair literally just looked like that. Like, it was just straight, <laughs> thick, all the way around. It's so and accurate. <laughs> right? Um, and just, like... I don't know. I have mixed feelings about Daniel Radcliffe as Harry Potter, but at this point, he is just, he is Harry Potter. Like, when you see a picture of Daniel Radcliffe, he's Harry Potter. Yeah, I think that's kind of, I had trouble being critical of any of the kids, and and the adult actors, but mostly the kids, because, like, they've just become so much, like, we watched them grow up as these characters, and so I don't Mm -hmm. think we'll ever, like, really be able to critique them that much. Yeah. Um, I will say that Daniel Radcliffe has really... I was always kind of indifferent to him, but he really shot up in my popularity rankings. <laughs> uh, my my likeness of uh, Harry Potter actors when he released that great statement in response to an author. <laughs> yeah, I think all of them... I mean, I think that there were some that maybe stayed more silent, but of the ones that I, like, remember seeing the statements from, namely the big three, yeah, I think they all did a great job. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, like, like I said, I feel like it's hard to have opinions on actors when they're literally 11 years old. Like, it's hard to criticize them. Yeah. But like I said, I so definitely... Cute. And they are. And lately, I've been... If, I've been going to, like, our podcast explore page on Instagram, and I don't know whether these are just being released or whether I just don't browse Harry Potter explore pages very often, but there's so many videos, like, behind-the-scenes videos Mm -hmm. of the filming of this, and they're just, they're playing, like, rock, paper, scissors, like, Emma and Tom are, like, doing, like, the slaps game and, like, one of the videos just... It's so, so cute. cute. Um, so cute. Also, this is kind of getting ahead, but whatever. Um, I, I recently, I feel like it was like maybe six months ago, so really not that recently. But I remember seeing the, they did like, I think they thought about, similar to like Dan with the contacts, they thought about using fake teeth for Emma mm, Watson. Yeah. And the video of her, her doing, like, tooth, tooth test, <laughs> it's the cutest thing ever because they just have her like they're trying to see like how she talks with them in, and they just have mm-hmm. her saying things over and over and again and it's 
Oh my god, it's so cute. Yeah, and one with Emma and Dan, like, Emma, Dan, and Rupert are all standing next to each other, and Emma keeps on kind of, like, going on her tippy toes, and Dan's like, stop trying to be taller than me. She's like, hey, like, and they just, like, go back and forth, and he's like, you're being mean. (laughs) It's just, it's so cute. Um, Yeah, anyways, that was a really long tangent, just to say that the kids were all so adorable speaking of adorable kids the next one we be talking about is Rupert oh my god I think he's the cutest I really think he's the cutest of the kids I just he's so adorable the facial expressions he does while like filming are just literally the cutest I also think that he did the best in this movie of the three I think he was the best actor I do have some critiques of Emma Watson in the to bring up um yeah I I feel I think Emma did really well so I mean I don't think any of them did badly I just think that maybe Rupert you could also maybe say that his character was a little bit easier to play Mm. like he's a lot more kind of like the comic relief more funny like obviously Dan had to be a little bit more serious like more in his head sometimes and I don't know I think that Rupert was yeah. the best in my opinion. But I think you're right. I think Ron is a really easy role for a kid to play, especially yeah, how especially the movie for- wrote Ron. For sure, for sure. Um I will say about Rupert, I feel like he might be like the most noticeably like adorable to me because I like don't think he was tra- attractive going through puberty. I know some people like thought that. I really do not find him attractive to this day and so I think like him being an adorable little kid is even more exacerbated by knowing that I like didn't think he was cute later on whereas like Emma Watson is a perfect specimen so honestly (laughs) but just like Rupert's face he just like I don't know what it is but he just like looks like he's the face of just a little angel it's just so it's like the little like part in his hair and then his smirks and how he always has something on his face I think is like the combination of those three things he's just so adorable yeah but about enough about the boys. <laughs> okay, so yes, Emma Watson as Hermione. First off, Emma Watson is adorable, but we've already talked about this. Um, and I personally, we talked about this as well, like I could not see another person as Hermione. Like, especially I feel like Emma Watson was always, like Hermione's my favorite character. Emma Watson was always my favorite um, cast member. And I think like I just have such an attachment to her. So maybe Katie said she's going to be critical but I'm not going to be able to do that um I do think like appearance wise her hair they really like they do the most in this film to make it like bushy and curly and kind of out of control they probably still like I mean Emma Watson just has like very tame hair I think so they, they had to put a lot of work into it um I wish that they continued to, like, curl it and do stuff with it. Um, Because, like, in three, they just stopped. And I also... You forget that, like, Hermione's supposed to be... Like, she's nerdy and she's also supposed to kind of look that way and she's supposed to have buck teeth. And I think you... I forget that all the time because Emma Watson is, like, honestly beautiful. Like, she was adorable then and then she just becomes this, like, beautiful young woman. So... Um, appearance-wise, it's a little disappointing based on the book, but I just think, like, I can't complain about her appearance at all. 
Yeah, I, I'm going to speak about her hair just for a quick sec because I have very unruly, very curly hair. And so that's something that I think I'm maybe a little bit more, not that I'm like more sensitive to it. Um, but in this film, her hair is bushy. It's not curly at all. Like, mm-hmm. I would not describe her hair no, as curly it's bushy, in this movie. Yeah. It's bushy. Which, like, at least they did that. Like, okay, that's fine. In the second movie, they so clearly just braided her hair and then took her hair out of braids. Mm-hmm. Like, it even does that thing at the end where the part that isn't braided is, like, straight. Yeah. That really annoys me. And then they just gave up. Um... But yeah, no, in this movie, her hair is just bushy, which at least they did that. <laughs> yeah, and I, I will say about Hermione, um, I have a few other things to say, but like, I mean, reading the series with Hermione as a black character, obviously there was like a ton of potential for them to do something there. Um, I don't think it would have happened in the early 2000s. Like, I don't think that JKR intended for her to be black. Um, I like the interpretation of reading her that way. So I think if we ever, I mean, like we see in Cursed Child, she's always cast as a black woman, which I think is great. And I think if there was ever like a remake of the series or a TV show or something, I would love to see that adaptation. Um, I think it's unfortunate that they like didn't do that, even though like, I don't think that was like really even a thing on anyone's mind um, when making this first movie to start with. And like, I just... Emma Watson as a person I could not replace with anyone yeah she's just honestly like just the ideal person like not even like the ideal woman just like the ideal person not only is she just like the most gorgeous human being on the freaking planet she's she's such an activist and yeah um so also just a few notes on like her playing Hermione I think she was so sassy in this film and I love it I'm here for it she has so many good lines in this film and I I feel like like more so than even any of the other movies and I'm very happy about that also just a note on like a specific scene her outfit when they go to get the stone with her like she's wearing like little white stockings and a skirt and a sweater and she's so cute and she I just want to like give her a little squeeze and then she like gets her stockings all dirty and stuff and it's just like it's adorable i also i have a list of iconic lines by emma watson at the end of the i saw that yeah (laughs) um is that did you want to say more on emma oh no okay uh okay so then draco um i feel like tom felton just really captures his energy really well uh He's always smirking, and my one takeaway about his appearance is, like, the freaking slicked-back helmet hair. It's so bad, and I, like, if I ever, like, saw a kid with it, I'd be like, this is disgusting. Like, why did your parent do that to you? But it's also so cute because, like... And it just works. It just works. Like, it just, like, immediately cues you in to the fact that he's gonna be, like, a little dick. And Tom Felton, I he might be like up there in my favorite cast members. I just like people I, love him. I he just I feel like he's also of the children. Maybe besides Emma Watson, one of the more like prevalent yeah. in acting in like the acting world. 
Um, like, he was in Flash, and I remember watching him in that and that kind of thing. He's also, like, kind of stayed with Potter. Yes. Like, he's one of the few, I guess, like, not that he was, like, one of the top build, but, like, his Draco as a character is huge in the Harry Potter series. Mm -hmm. Granted, they definitely cut his role a lot in the movies. Yeah. But he's still, like, such an iconic character. And I can, I just, I think we talked about this before, but I just really appreciate when cast members really appreciate being in the Harry Potter films and kind of what that means to people and I think Tom does a great job at that yeah where some of them maybe don't (laughs) so next I'm going to talk about Alan Rickman and Maggie Smith and I really don't have much to say about them other than they're like literal perfection Perfect. perfect um I think in my opinion they're two of the best castings granted the one thing that people bring up about Alan Rickman is age Mm -hmm. and I do think that that is a little bit like mm, um but just because they aged up everybody from that generation it like doesn't feel as weird yeah yeah Uh, because they aged up Sirius and they aged up Remus and I remember when the mirror of error said scene came on I like turned to my mom I'm like those like those looks look like some old fucking 21 year olds on my screen right now um yeah and just because I feel like just because they aged up kind of everybody it doesn't end up being as much of like a thing but Snape is supposed to be what like 32 in the first movie so I mean that's something to bring up but I just think that Alan Rickman and Maggie Smith are both just like literal perfection they're two of the best casting decisions in my opinion and if they were to ever remake some form of this, um, those would be two that maybe the characters wouldn't be hard to cast, but just like looming with Alan Rickman and R- with Maggie Smith looming over those characters, it's going to be really difficult yeah. and one of the more like important decisions if they were to ever redo this, which they definitely will. I yeah. don't know when, but they will. Um, yeah, on the age thing, like, I hate how they aged everyone up because it it takes away from, like, some of the tragedy of it. But I do, I, like, wouldn't replace either of them for the world. Um, And, like, also they're very, like, not only are they great in this, but they're also both very great actors outside of the series um, Mm -hmm. and have done some really great work. Particularly Maggie Smith in Downton is just Mm -hmm. incredible. They're just both, like, huge gets for the Harry Potter franchise. And obviously, yeah. I can't go back and put myself in, like, the shoes of being the cast the cast being announced in 2001 because I was three years old. But I think that with getting them cast really added some legitimacy to yeah. the movie that maybe people were, like, wondering about beforehand. Because it is, like, a children's movie. Um so I think that them kind of doing this made it very clear that like no this is these are like serious films that are going to be good mm-hmm. whether they achieved that is another thing <laughs> I think it was a sign to parents more so than yeah. to kids oh yeah. for sure all right so then uh Hagrid and I think I don't have much to say here I think Robbie Coltrane is great I feel like Again, since we, both of us, are, like, of the age where we really read the books as we had already kind of seen some of the movies and we can't really remember imagining characters without the movies, um, 
it's hard to tell, but I think Robbie Coltrane is just like the epitome of Hagrid, like perfect description. I can't think of anything that could be better. I think maybe he's supposed to have black hair or like darker hair, but I'm yeah. not, I'm not sure on that. Um, I will just say this has nothing to do with Robbie Coltrane, but the portrayal of Hagrid in the movies is obviously very frustrating with the cake and him not being able to spell and him being dumb, but that's not at all Robbie Coltrane's fault. Um, just an injustice done to Hagrid um, that we'll get into when those those situations arise. Yeah, I think Robbie Coltrane is one of those. I think like Ray Fiennes maybe falls into this too, that they're just like so unrecognizable as their character that it just like, they become, it just becomes this, like I don't, not that I could picture anybody else as Hagrid, but I also really can't picture Robbie Coltrane as Hagrid because he just looks so different and just does like such a great job like fully transforming into the character. So it's weird to, like, see Hagrid as Robbie Coltrane because I don't. Whereas, like, I see McGonagall as Maggie Smith. Right, right. It's kind of a different way to look at the acting. Yeah, I agree. All right, and then, of course, Dumbledore. So this is kind of an age-old debate. Um, I don't, We've never really had this conversation, yeah, I don't think. I don't think so. I personally don't have particularly strong feelings on which Dumbledore I like better. I do... I prefer Richard Harris, um, who, if you are not familiar with his names, Richard Harris plays Dumbledore in one and two, and then Michael Gambon plays him for the rest. Um, Richard Harris passed away. So, like, I'm not, like, I feel like people, some people are, like, really adamant about this debate, and I'm not one of those people. I do like Richard Harris better because I think he captures the Dumbledore that I imagine more. Um, particularly like with him being older, Dumbledore's supposed to be really freaking old. And I just feel like there's something about Richard Harris that's more mysterious and kind of I think like... he's more like whimsy. Like he has the twinkle in his eye that Michael exactly, Gambon does. Exactly. That's what he wrote. That twinkle <laughs> in his eye. Um, and Michael Gambon doesn't have that you could argue, I, some people do argue, like, we wouldn't have been able to have Dumbledore in some of the scenes that he was in the later movies um, if it was Richard Harris and not Michael Gambon because, like, Richard Eight. Harris was old and Michael Gambon is a bit more spry. Um, so I guess that's the one benefit of the change. Um, and I, another note that I, I, I don't know, I probably had noticed this before, but like, it was particularly like poignant to me this time because I think whenever I end up watching the movies, it's like whenever they're just on TV and I feel like I always watch the later ones. So watching Richard Harris was really nice for me. And I noticed that I think he always has the half moon spectacles, whereas Michael Gambon only has them like in certain scenes, like particularly when they're like in their his office and stuff like that yeah um so i think that's another thing that just like adds to the dumbledore persona that richard harris has that's better than michael gambon yeah i think that i think that i probably lean more towards richard liking richard harris more um i think that i'm pretty sure about this fact that Michael Gammon did not read this series. Yes, you're right. And I think it's very clear that he did not read this series in his portrayal of Dumbledore. And I think that what Richard Harris kind of brought to it is that when Dumbledore does, like, perform magic or, like, 
do something more spectacular it's like such a shock I feel like to Harry just because he is so old but Michael Gambon is just like plays Dumbledore so much more aggressively yeah and it takes away from kind of that like shock or that like oh damn Dumbledore like is a badass like I because I feel like he kind of always plays Dumbledore like a badass but it's supposed to be this big like surprise and shock and moment yeah, I totally agree with that. And I will say, like, one thing that people always talk about in this debate is, like, Richard Harris never would have said, Harry, did you put your name in the Goblet of Fire? Um, which is, pr- I don't know, like, I feel like that's kind of a, a easy way to, like, it's like an easy out of this debate to, like, harp on Michael Gambon for that because I'm sure that was a director's note. And um, I'm sure that he took, like, 15 takes of that. And right. he probably shouted in, like, maybe five of them. You right. Know? So, like, I think that's totally, like, that's not a decision that the actor is making. Um, I don't think Michael Campbell, like, fought for it to be, like, him yelling. So I think that's, like, kind of, it loses the nuance of this debate if you just talk about points to specifically that instance. Because, um, like, if Richard Harris was still Dumbledore, they may have made him yell during that one too you know it's not actors I feel like don't really get to make some of those choices so I like that we had like a little bit more nuanced of a debate here but I think that Richard Harris definitely comes out on top um but I'm not like I am I don't think it's like the biggest issue with the later movies is that it's Michael Gambon you know yeah I I agree and definitely we'll talk we'll probably bring this back up in Prisoner of Azkaban when the casting change does occur and we'll talk a little bit more about, like, Michael Gambon specifically. But I don't know. I just think that Richard Harris does a better job capturing, like, the essence of Dumbledore. Yeah. I agree. And not saying that Michael Gambon doesn't play a good Dumbledore. But it's just not that, like, like the twinkle in his eye is what I just keep coming back to. Like, Michael Gambon just doesn't have it. Yeah. All right. So let's move on to just diving into kind of our notes that we took as we were going through the movie. Apologies to the listeners if this is going to be a little scatterbrained um because we both took notes on different part kind of like it's not super organized (laughs) so so i have the chapters pulled up and i think we're going to try and do that so starting with just like the first scene of dumbledore mcgonagall hagrid privet drive well so i'll go before that (laughs) oh okay in that in the book we don't start there um we start with kind of mr dursley's day and I, it really doesn't bother me that they skip this. Um, I think some stuff would have been funny to see, you know, like the wizard celebrating the street and Vernon being like, what the hell? Um, but this is definitely a way more captivating way to start. And I think like when you hear about like people's first times reading Potter, they always had trouble getting through that first chapter. Um, so it makes sense that it gets cut from the movies and we, the first thing we see really, um, the first thing that really happens is the transformation of McGee. Well, so Dumbledore shows I, up. I'm looking at our notes and it looks like we have some opposite feelings about this. <laughs> yeah. So I said that the transformation of McGonagall with the shadow is like really funny because I feel like it makes it seem kind of ominous um, mm. when she just becomes, she's like, honestly, like she's a really good character and we love her and. Um, it's, it, it, I also think it really falls into this, like, caricature of a witch that these series, 
the series like goes really far away from right the thing that we imagine outside of harry potter when you think of witches is like yeah halloween and like you know hooked nose warts right and for some reason that transformation with uh, in the shadow is reminiscent of that so I remember this is watching it this time was the first time I'd ever had thoughts on that scene and I like it. I think that it for me, I think it was a really easy out like just like straight movie production wise, it was an easy out. I know what you're going to say. It was an easy out to not show the CGI of changing that because as we see later, their CGI in this movie is like shit. But, but they do they they do show they it show and her I transformation. Think, but I remember, like, looking at that very specifically. So they do this thing where they, like, the cat jumps and becomes McGonagall, right? And it's so cropped in that they don't show, like, the body doing anything. Mm-hmm. Like, and they, you're, because it jumps out at you, your eyes are drawn straight to the face and you don't worry about the other things happening. So I also think that that was, like, a really clever way to not mm. actually show a transformation. Because I was going to say, I feel like it's not bad then. Yeah, it's it's definitely not bad, but, like, they do a lot of tricks to, like, have you not pay attention yeah. and to not actually show the transformation kind of thing. It was an easy out for them to, like, not have to worry about the special effects on that, and I think that it's really cool. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, so then my next note is about Hagrid crying, um, which I think he does in the book. He, like... Blubbers. Yeah, and he's like, like crying. I think he's already up, crying when being too loud. Like I think he's crying. He's crying when they sh- show up in the book. No, maybe. Yeah. Um, but that was just like oh, that opening scene. Like I think viewing. I was trying to imagine a lot of this viewing for the first time, which I can't remember the first time I watched this. But viewing for the first time, like you wouldn't get nearly as much emotion as you do now thinking about it, and like. It was, like, knowing that Hagrid has just come from, like, that place of, you know, seeing the destruction. Seeing him crying really, like, got me. Yeah. I think my final note on this, like, Hagrid-Dumbledore-McGonagall scene is that it so cleverly does everything we need it to do at this point. We we introduce Harry. We introduce Dumbledore and McGonagall and Hagrid. They talk about kind of, like, what happened, but not, mm-hmm. like, too much. They go into a lot. Like, go they go to it. They go into it a lot more in-depth in the book where, like, they show a full conversation between Dumbledore and McGonagall and Mon- McGonagall, like, asking these questions about what happened. But I think it does everything it needs to do. It sets the tone as very kind of, like, magical and mystical mm-hmm. and... I just think that it's a great opening scene and I definitely agree with your take that it was good of them to cut out the Dursley scene beforehand. Yeah. And I think this is getting into a lot more like my overall thoughts, but I think the success of the first two movies in fans' minds as adaptations really comes down to they like cleverly cut and left things in. Mm -hmm. They cut a lot of things that were extraneous and they shortened a lot of things. Like a lot in this gets compact into like where things that take like a couple days in the books, they compact into like one event and it Mm -hmm. really just, and they don't take away anything from those events, but they just make it happen in a much shorter period of time. And I think that's what works about this movie as an adaptation. They do take 
we'll talk about this as they come up, but they do take out a lot of detail. Mm -hmm. Obviously they have to, um, but it's not, most of it makes sense if you were trying to think about watching this without having read the book. Yeah. Um, So then we kind of, we start, we fast forward uh, 10 years or whatever, and we see Harry. At the Dursleys. Yeah, Harry at the Dursleys. Um, When my first, so we see, the first thing we see kind of is like, well, we see Harry and we see Petunia like waking him up by banging on the cupboard door. And something I noticed for the first time was the lock on the door. Um, there's a lock on the outside of the cupboard door so they can lock him in. And I had mm. never, I'd never noticed this before. Yeah. Um, cause like when Petunia knocks on the door and like tells him to get up, um, she, I was like, oh, it looked like she unlocked it. And then I like went back and revised my note later and was like, she definitely unlocked it because later you like very clearly see Vernon like, locking lock him it. in. Wow. Um, and then... Dan's face when Dudley is yelling about the presents was hilarious. Uh, (laughs) Um, Speaking of that scene in the kitchen, something that I had heard of before, but I don't think I'd ever looked for while watching is in the background, Petunia is like, is it this scene or is it later? I think you have the note, it's later. Oh, okay, okay. This is when they're bringing back the letter, when he's bringing back the letter, I think. Um, which so the letter is after the zoo. Yeah. So. Okay. So I'll cut, I'll get to that later. Um, but of the day of the zoo, they cut out Pierce Polkis, which I think is one of those great need to be cut out. Mm-hmm. Like Dudley having a friend there for Dudley is just not important to this story at all. Yeah. And I think that they do that a lot with Neville later on. They take him out of scenes just because it's more important, quote unquote, to tell like the Hermione Ron Harry story. Yeah. I, I like, talk about that a bit later. I think it makes sense that they take him out, but also it's not as, like, simple as, like, taking Pierre out. Pierre? Piers. Piers. Um, it's, like, yeah, he's, he's, like, not in, I mean, they, he gets mentioned a little bit later, but, like, he's not in the series after, whereas, like, Neville, yeah. I feel like there's serious character development that is taken For out. Sure. But we make compromises. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I definitely think that was a good cast or good decision on and an easy decision for the producers and directors and whatnot the zoo scene i mean it's pretty good yeah i think it's pretty good i don't really have any issues with it i think they like got the good comedic relief with dudley getting in the like falling into the water yeah, I did see, I looked up, like, major differences online in the book and the movie, like, articles about it, and one of them was, like, the snake is a different breed in the movie than in the yeah. book. I'm like, who gives us Nobody cares. crap? I do think it, does the snake actually speak in the book besides the thank you? I don't think so. Okay. He just, like, does, like, head movements. Okay. That's what it does in the movie, so I was yeah. just... Not sure. I'm pretty sure. I guess, I mean, I have the book right here. I can pull it up, but. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that some of the scenes are like this. They just, like, they're good. They do everything they need to do. Yeah. It's adapted pretty well. Yeah, yeah. so then we start having the letter debacle. Yeah, so, like, I, so going back to what I was talking bef- talking about before. So, when Harry comes back from the first time getting, like, getting his first Hogwarts letter, we see Petunia in the background over the stove, um, 
like with a big pot like mixing something and I'm pretty sure there so there's a series of deleted scenes from this where like she cracks open an egg and there's a letter in there like there is in the books Mm -hmm. um and one of these she so she's dying like Harry's school uniform like she does in the books she just like takes a bunch of old clothes from Dudley and dyes them gray for his uniform at Stonewall High and I just think that that's a great not even though it didn't get like the scene where they talk about that didn't get put in they still have it in the background and people who know like know you know what yeah. I mean and I didn't I, even notice I think that's that, great yeah you can just like see her kind of like over a big pot mm-hmm. like kind of stirring it in the background yeah so then um we have the classic no post on Sundays um, the classic Harry meme when he's jumping up and down in the letters and it's like the youngest Quidditch seeker in a century. <laughs> uh. um, so that's all I think great. I feel like the letters in the movie are way exaggerated from what I imagine happening in the book. Even if it's like not different from the description in the book, I like definitely just as like when I'm reading do not imagine that many letters but I love it I think it's way over the top and great yeah when I was rereading there's this scene where Harry like once he gets moved to the second bedroom he like sets an alarm to try and like yeah. move the postman out the by the sidewalk and he steps on Uncle Vernon who's like laying there and I'm like, like sleeping on the doorstep been, yeah. yeah like that would have been such like a great funny scene to put in this like kind of montage they have going on but, like, I get that they really did. The letter the letter scenes that they showed did all they needed to do. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Because when they The rest of bother, it was just gravy. Didn't bother moving him to the other bedroom or anything. Yeah. So. And another thing they cut out is, so they go to a hotel between leaving Fort Perfect Drive and going yeah. to the Hot on the Rock. So they cut that out as well, which, again, like, it does kind of drag on. A l- Not that it feels like it's dragging on in the book, but it just goes on for so much longer than it needs to for the movie format. So, again, kind of one of those things where it makes total sense to cut out those scenes. Yeah, and then, so in The Hot on the Rock, Harry making the cake in the dirt is so sad. I forgot I have, about that. I love that. And for the first time, like, this watch, I was like, that is so smart. Because in the book, it's, like, all internal stuff yeah. that he's thinking. And so having him do that is such a great way to, like, show, not tell. Right. So not, like, to avoid him having to, like, speak out loud or doing an or inner like monologue the Dursleys aren't going to say it. Yeah. Like. So just having that there is just such an easy, simple way to get that point across while not being, like, Harry being, like, 10 minutes till my birthday, you yeah. know, that kind of thing. I just... it's so smart I love it and it is very sad so my next note says the fucking cake Katie go off and I'm gonna let you go off but not too long because we've talked about this before and this is already gonna be a long I don't have much more to say I just hate it so much like it is such she's talking about the spelling on the cake how Hagrid can't spell how Hagrid spells happy birthday d-a-e and then e-e and half and happy Honestly, the movie doing it is a big problem for me. But what I have the biggest problem with is how that has become such, like, in the zeitgeist of Harry Potter fans. Mm -hmm. Like, so many people recreate cakes. Like, really big Harry Potter fans will, like, recreate cakes, like, spelled incorrectly. Merch spelled incorrectly. Like, just... 
like it's like nobody knows this like secret fact that Hagrid didn't actually spell it incorrectly in the books and I bet you they just don't know because it's just become such a part of the Harry Potter like it's such an iconic thing in the Mm -hmm. Harry Potter fandom and it's just so incorrect and it really bothers me it just really does yeah because Hagrid's not like granted in the book he does say I don't know if I can spell Voldemort but also I'd like to point out the fact that nobody says Voldemort so nobody writes it so he's probably never seen Voldemort written down before that's true that's true um not that Voldemort is like maybe such a hard word to spell if you just sound it out but he's probably never seen it written that down before um but it's just like I hate that I just really hate it yeah all right, so then in the book, they actually spend the night in the hot and the rock, which makes more sense. But just to speed things up in the movie, um, they just leave at like midnight, and then the next scene is them in London at daylight. Yeah. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. I just looked back at my notes. I have one thing to say about the scene before they leave. Petunia's like little oh, yeah. monologue about Lily, I think is really great. It's, I feel like it is pretty close, like word for word. They definitely take like direct quotes from the book. I think they do make it just like a tad bit shorter in the mm-hmm. movie, but I, it's one of those things that it just like, it does everything you need it to do. And I feel like Fiona Shaw does a great job acting it and just kind of like the disdain in her voice. Yeah. You can hear it like the freak. No, it's just, like, great, I think. Yeah, and I love how that comes back later, um, that kind of sentiment. So I'm going to go a little bit ahead here, and then we can go back kind of to the Diagon Alley thing, because one thing that does get left out in the hut um, that's really important is Harry learning about Voldemort. So we see the scene of, like, Hagrid saying, like, the injustice of James and Lily dying in a car accident. Uh, but then in the book, he like turns and explains to Harry everything. And like, that's obviously really important. But I have some issues with how they did it in the movie. Because I feel like they could have... So what they do is Hagrid doesn't say anything about how Harry's parents died. And then they walk into the Leaky Cauldron and everyone's honored honored to meet him. And Harry's like really confused. Um, and then when Harry asks about it, like in the alley on their way into, like, in the back alley of the Leaky Cauldron, on their way into Diagon Alley, um, Hagrid says, Hagrid says, I don't think I'm the right person to tell you that. But, like, who the fuck is going to tell him in Hagrid's mind there? Also, all this is, like, at the Hagrid, movie Hagrid. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Obviously, it's better to hear it from Hagrid than some random person. And then Ollivander, like, weirdly tells him a little bit where he's, like, the wand that gave you that scar. Mm. But then he doesn't, like, he, he probably thinks that, like, Harry knows all of this. So Harry's just, like, standing there like, what the fuck? And then <sighs> afterwards, they have Hagrid telling him while they're, like, eating dinner at the Leaky Cauldron. And then there's the whole thing with, like, Hagrid can't spell Voldemort. I forgot that that was in the book. I thought that was a movieism. No, it is in the um, book. But I just think, like why couldn't they just have had that short scene they did it anyway later why couldn't they just have had it before yeah um, i'm just like it i get that it like adds to like mystery of like who even is harry potter for the viewer who like hasn't read the book but it just bothers me like logistically for harry if you think about him like as a young kid like it just bothers me so much yeah i also think 
along those same lines, going back to the first scene with Dumbledore, McGonagall, and Hagrid, they don't, they never, they don't bring up Harry's parents, I don't think, in that Mm. scene. Like, it's very glossed over. Like, where did Hagrid take Harry from? What is going on? So I think, because in the book, it's introduced then, and then you have, like, the Dursley scenes to, like, build up the suspense about it, and then the hot and the rock happens. So I think they try and do that, but just, like, shift the timeline down in the movie when they could have just, like, maybe introduced it that night and then done the hut in the rock. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Like, still have that time in between to have the mystery hang in the air. They just pushed it back, which is weird. Yeah. All right, so diagonally. One thing that I noticed on this recent reread is the first, like, three times, at least the first two times, maybe the first three times, we meet Quirrell. He's described as a young man. yeah. Um, and not that the, I don't even, I don't even know the actor's name who plays Quirrell. Not that he's, like, old or anything, but it was just weird because it was, like, such, they use it multiple times, like, a young man. And I just, like, never. I never thought of it that way, yeah. Yeah, I, like, never remembered that about Quirrell. Yeah. Also, diagonally, I think is literal perfection. I just, I think it's perfect. Yeah, and I was, like, paying a lot more attention to it because, I mean, because we're watching this to, like, be invested in it but because of the episode we just did and I was like yeah. seeing all the shops that we were like talking about in the last episode yeah. and we were like oh yeah this is where this is shown here in this yeah um one of my favorite things about the whole Diagon Alley scene is the shot of Harry looking at the Nimbus 2000 and like his face is like lit up and it doesn't it it doesn't make any sense if you haven't like because at this point, he doesn't even know what Quidditch is. They don't say yeah. the word Quidditch until Madame Hooch says it when she's like, if I see any of you off the ground, like, you'll be out of this school faster than I can say the word Quidditch. Yeah. And it's like, it makes no sense, but I just love it because I feel like it really captures Harry's, like, persona of being such a jock. Like, he's just like, all yeah. he sees all these kids looking at the Nimbus 2000, so he's just like, that's so cool. <laughs> um. I think another thing that kind of just taking another step back and looking at the movie as a whole, especially the first two, because we're just going to clump those together a lot. The first two movies, I think, just do a so like such better job capturing like the whimsy of the of like the wizarding world that later movies don't. And I kind of get it. Like later movies do have a lot darker themes to them to begin with, but they just this one just does such a better job like capturing the world as a whole. I think, yeah, kind of adding that extra like character to the world. I agree. Yeah. Um. So then Gringotts. Um, I don't have much to say about this other than this score. I like literally cannot. Specifically this scene when they go into Vault 713 and take the Philosopher's Stone. It's like this chorus of kind of like voices. And it just keeps Mm -hmm. getting louder and louder and louder. And it's just like this paper package. But the score just like is what does it for you. It's like this is important. And it's just so good. Yeah. Um, my notes on Gringotts, it was really weird. The one thing that I really picked out that they changed is, like, Hagrid says, Vault you-know-which. Which, like, in the book he says, Vault you- it's the you-know-what in Vault 713. Yeah. Um, I don't know why. Like, they're just trying to make it more mysterious. And then, then they later say, like, 713. <laughs> right. Um, and they make, like, a big deal about it because they, like, report that in the 
the break-in. Yeah. Which they don't in the books. Yeah. But then the other thing is that they give Harry's vault a number, and they give it 687, which this isn't canon. It's not said in the book. But I thought it was interesting because that really, I think, shows some prestige of the Potter family. Mm, Because that's, like, a pretty deep vault. If 713... Is it's like, like high security, guarded. and yeah. then like six eighty seven is like gotta be pretty high security. So um, I thought that was interesting, even though it's like not really um, canon. Yeah, and then so the next kind of big scene is the Ollivander scene, right? But before that, what's missing? I don't know. In the book, I believe they go to Madame Malkin's before Ollivander, yes. right? Um, which I think is kind of a shame that they take that out because yeah. I do I think I like the the detail of Harry meeting Draco before Pretty. he meets the trio and like kind of yeah. as an introduction to like on his first day in the wizarding world for him to also see the bad of it yeah and also it. it shows a lot more of Harry's character yes that like he kind of picks up that Draco's a dick yeah, and Draco's, like, being a dick about Hagrid and stuff like that, yeah. I think. Before he kind of, like, has the context of, like, maybe meeting Ron and having Draco be mean to Ron. Because I feel like in the movie, that's what it's more framed as. Mm-hmm. Like, he made this fast friend in Ron, and then Draco makes fun of him. And so he stands up for Ron. But in the book, it's more of, like, yes, Draco makes fun of Hagrid, but more... He's just, like, picking up on that, like, Draco is saying mean things about yeah. people. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Ollivanders. Um, I love Ollivander, like, sliding in on the ladder. Yeah. So funny. I also... Sorry, just before we get to your hot take. um, For the long... I I may have mentioned this in an episode before. I don't know. But for the longest time, when Ollivander was like, that's curious, and Daniel Radcliffe responds with, what's curious? I thought for the longest time... That he was asking for the definition of curious. Like, what does curious mean? Yeah. Not, like, what is curious? And I was just always so confused about that. And I literally think in the last, like, two years is when I figured out that I, like, was interpreting the scene completely incorrectly. But, yeah. That's so, funny. Yeah. Um, the other thing on the wands is, like, uh, people, I think people in the fandom really appreciated some of the detail that Alfonso Cuaron, the director of the third movie, added to the series. And one of those is the custom wands for each um, character. And these are the ones that we see that you can like purchase, the Noble Collection. And some of these wands are beautiful. Harry's wand is so dumb and lame. And my hot take... (laughs) Yeah, Ron's too. But my hot take is that Harry's wand in Sorcerer's Stone is better than the weird custom wand that they gave him. I noticed this as well. It's simple, but it's not ugly. Yeah. In this scene specifically, the swish and flick scene... Yeah. Um, we get, like, a view of, like, Hermione, Ron, and Harry's, like, more close. Maybe not Harry's. Um, I like hot take because I love wands. Like... That is, that's what I like to buy as my merchandise, yeah. as my Harry Potter merch. She has, like, six. I have ten. Um, <laughs> um, but I think I like the wands in the first two movies better, because some of the ones that come into later books are just, like, 
tacky looking. Like, there's no other way to put it. Some of them are tacky looking. I think it, they're really hitting this. I think the one, or not the one, but the, like, best wand to me, and I know it's kind of basic, but, like, Hermione's wand, I just absolutely love. And I think it really captures her really well. Um, but I do agree with you that some of them are just really bad. Like, I think it was, like, very 50-50. Yeah, I would agree. And I think that they did a lot of this. Never mind. This is a separate conversation. We need to get back to the movie. Sorry. Um, And then kind of my next note is talking about the reorder of the Hut on the Rock versus Leaky Cauldron scene of the explaining of stuff. Which we already talked about. So then we get to the fact that they just fast forward past Harry going back to the Dursleys for a month. Which Mm -hmm. it makes sense that they fast forward past that. And I'm not too upset about it, but it, it like, does, the dates just really don't make sense. But, like, I get why they left that stuff out. I also think this contributes to, like, doing Hagrid a little bit dirty. Because in the books, he, like, leaves Harry, and then Harry's for a month, and then he figures out the platform nine three quarters on his own then. But in the movies, he, like, takes Harry there and then just doesn't explain anything. He's like, peace out, bro. And... If Hagrid was there, he would have explained stuff to Harry. Yes. But Hagrid wasn't there in the book. So I think, like, watching it this time, I was like, yeah, that's, like, a little... Hagrid did Harry dirty, and the movie did Hagrid dirty. Yeah. See. Yeah, no, that I had a note exactly on that. Like, it makes no sense that Hagrid would just leave him there. That's totally out of his character. Um, and so I know that they had to, like... They wanted to cut going back to the Dursleys, but they wanted to keep in... Um, hair like the Weasleys helping him get on yeah. the platform. So like it makes sense, but like I hate that Hagrid takes the like brunt blame. of that. Yeah, the blame. Yeah. yeah. Then just the scene at Platform Nine through Curry's with the Weasley is one of those scenes that is just like, uh, it's a Weasleys great adaptation. Are it's like almost spot on with yeah. dialogue, and the Weasleys are so freaking cute. Can we talk about how high Fred and George's voices are? In oh this my movie? gosh. Can we? Yeah, that. <laughs> also, Ginny saying good luck to Harry. I like had a moment. It was like that is your future wife. Also, I just think I really like the foresight of. I feel like they very easily could have not cast Bonnie right. They could have mm. just like not had a Ginny or true or like cast some random person and then changed the Recast, actress. Yeah. But I love that like they actually had Bonnie right for literally one line. And yeah. then, like, kept her throughout the rest of the series. I do think that a lot of that came with Sorcerer's Stone and Chamber of Secrets were filmed, like, pretty much back-to-back. Like, mm. Sorcerer's Stone wasn't filmed, released, and then they filmed Chamber of Secrets. So I think that that has a lot to do with why they cast Bonnie Wright, like, as yeah. Jenny. Because they were very quickly going to transition into Chamber of Secrets. Which, the book had already been out at that point, so they knew that Jenny was going to be a bigger character. Yeah. But, yeah, I do enjoy that. Um, that scene is just so good. We're on to the train. Um, and I just love, like, the friendship that they show in this scene. And just, like, the trio really, like, meeting each other. And the introductions, the, like, and you are. Um, Hermione saying that to Ron. I think that's all, like, uh, I love it so much. It has such a special place in my heart. Yeah, this, the... 
the train, like, the express scene is just so good. Oh, I never went through my criticisms of Emma Watson. Yeah, I asked um, you if you I, had I them, totally forgot. Okay, so <laughs> what made me think of it is because it happens in this. So I think a lot, Emma Watson does a lot of overacting in this movie where, like, she exaggerates everything that she does, especially with her mouth. She opens her mouth so wide to enunciate these words. And you are, she just like opens her mouth so much and it's to enunciate and I get it. But it's just like, I, once I noticed that I like couldn't unnotice it. And it was like really bothering me through the rest of the movie. I feel like it's cute. I mean, yeah, but it's also, it just seems so inauthentic. Mm. Like, I don't know, but it's, it's something she doesn't continue to do, so it's fine. But with the express scene, can we just, like, the trolley lady, lol. Now I just can't. When I saw her, I was just like, I can't. I cannot. It's ridiculous. So, yeah, we're on the express. The trolley lady is ridiculous. Um, they cut Neville out of the train entirely. Yeah. And I think they do this again, like you were saying. It's another thing, like, really emphasizing the trio. Mm-hmm. Um and I, I guess I'm fine with it in this case. I have more beef with him being left out of, like, things later, like, actual plot points. Yeah. Um, also with this scene, something I noticed this time. So, like, Hermione sits down and fixes Harry's glasses. Oh, it's so And then dumb. Harry takes... Well, it's not even that. Harry takes the glasses off and is like, whoa. And Hermione goes, holy cricket, you're Harry Potter. And, like... I, cl- I closely watch this. When he takes off the glasses, it's not like he moves his hair to, like, show his scar. Like, you still don't see his scar. So how does Hermione recognize <laughs> Harry without his glasses as Harry Potter? Um, it's like Clark Kent taking off the glasses, you know? Yeah. But, like, she hadn't seen Harry before. So I just, like, picked up on this. And I was like, what? That's so weird. Um, that is yeah. weird. Um, I, it bothers me. The whole fixing the glasses thing... That's a mess, but whatever. Um, all right, so we're off the train. Also, Ron saying, like, holy cow, when he sees Hagrid <laughs> is so funny. Um, and then the shot of the castle. Ugh. It's just... and It's like, iconic. There's no other word for it. And I just love, like, all of... The, they show all of their faces, and they really, like, do a good job of... I mean, they totally leave Gryffindor girls out of this, but they, like, show all of the, like, Gryffindor boys, and, like, they get everyone that you're, like, gonna care about um, in the movie. And, oh, they're all so cute. This is, like, our first time we really see Dean, too, and he's, like... Yeah, and Seamus, and Hannah Abbott, who was, like, weirdly in this movie, at least very much, like, from here. Because then they show her shorting and Hermione's They show Susan Bones' shorting. Oh, yeah, 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 that's right. Um, Yeah, it doesn't make sense, but... Um, And then I have a note about Draco, um, which we talked about, because the first time we meet him is in the entrance hall. But in the books, we've met him twice at this point. So we met him at Madame Malkin's. We also met him on the train. Yes. So then quickly, I did some hard math for you guys. So while I was reading, I decided I was going to figure out like when, in what percentage of the book are we through when Harry gets to Hogwarts? And I was going to compare it to the movie. So in the book, Harry goes to the, gets to the entrance hall on page 93 in the illustrated version. I'm not, I'm sure it's probably a little bit different. 
And the book is a total of 246 pages. So it's 38% when he gets to the entrance hall in the book. And in the movie, he gets there 39 minutes in to the 144-minute movie because I subtracted the credits from the total runtime. Mm-hmm. And that's 27% into the movie. So it's actually closer than I thought. I thought it was going to be much quicker in the movie, but... It, I mean, it's still quicker, but... Yeah. Just for comparison. An interesting comparison, yeah. Um, so then once we're in the castle, I love... Uh, how they make Neville find Trevor while McGonagall is talking. It's so, like, even though they, so bad. they barely so introduced bad. Trevor and, like, the like all you hear is, like, Hermione asking about a toad. It's so funny. Um, I, like, really laughed out loud at that. <laughs> and then my next uh, note is Draco is such a little dick, but also so cute. He's so cute. <laughs> Which I feel like really sums it up. Yeah. Tom Felton is another one that, like, I don't think got super attractive as an no, older. No, Especially post-Harry Potter. Like, maybe through Harry Potter, he, like, wasn't looking too bad. Um, but post-Harry Potter, I just don't find him personally attractive. But him as a kid is just so cute. Yeah. Um, okay, where are I we? I can't so... see your notes. The sorting. The sorting. I have a note on the sorting. So, well, right before that, though, this is, like, the first time you really see, like, everyone in their hats. Yeah. And I honestly, I hate the hats. Um, I know that they're, like, in the book, but I'm fine with them being cut out of the movies after this because I think they look really cute on the young kids, but on the older kids, like, can you imagine if we had to see... Like, imagine Goblet of Fire with all of their bad haircuts to start with, and then on top of that, they're wearing those dumb hats. It just is, like, impractical, too, with, like... Because they, like, talk... Because I think J.K. talks about the hats, like, in the first couple books and then stops talking about them, too. So it's, like, I'm, like, fine with it getting cut out. Yeah, it's kind of, like, the thing in the movies where they wear muggle clothes quite a bit. Yeah. But that's not supposed to be a thing in the books. I mean, they're supposed to wear their hats at all times. Like, in the Swish and Flick lesson, Harry puts out Seamus's feather with his hat. So, like, they're wearing them at all times. But they're so... I don't know. Like, they're cute in the movie. They're cute on the little kids, but I just, like... Like, Percy looks kind of dumb in it, you know? Um, Yeah. Um, Um, But with the sorting, quickly... Well, there's no song. There's no song, which so, I hate, because I love the Sorting Hat song. Well, and one thing that I noticed about this is, like, because there's no song, you have no you idea what the houses represent. Yeah, like, I guess you get kind like, a little bit of that when Harry gets sorted. But, like, barely. Yeah, and they only talk about Slytherin and... And Gryffindor. Gryffindor. Wow, why could I... I was only thinking... Grandpa. And he says, like, like, clearly smart. He says something about Harry, like hinting at Ravenclaw but he doesn't yeah. say the word Ravenclaw I don't is the word Ravenclaw even in this movie I could not tell you I don't think it is honestly it might not be I mean Hufflepuff sure as fuck wasn't so. <laughs> no Hufflepuff is because Susan Bones gets sorted sorted oh you're right you're right you're right yeah that's so true. I also I li- I listed out the order that people get sorted and yeah, it goes Granger Malfoy Bones Weasley Potter it's just weird like why would they not just go in alphabetical order. So I think they wanted Ron Did to they... get sorted before Harry. Yeah, they wanted. Does is Harry the last one we see yeah. sorted? Okay, yeah. so that's why. Um, and they like, I think that is the big reason why they put Weasley before Potter 
Yeah. But, and then I think maybe, so maybe they pushed Susan Bones back because they didn't want, like, they wanted Gryffindor to be the first house. Yeah, I could also see them wanting somebody who we care about and to be the first, to be the first yeah. person sorted and not just, like, this random girl. Yeah, and, like, I would have loved to see a Ravenclaw get sorted, but we, like, barely even know the Ravenclaws in that year, so. Yeah. Like, Terry Boot, I think he's in that year. Yeah. Gold, Goldstein, is that the first year? Or is that later at another sorting ceremony? I think he might be the same year. I don't know. I don't like. I honestly don't even know. So, but with the sorting, both in the book, which blows my mind a little bit, Hermione. They don't mention Hermione taking very long to get sorted. Yeah. They just say she gets sorted to Gryffindor, but they mention Neville taking a long time. And supposedly Hermione and Neville I think are supposed to take the same amount of time because they're both almost hat mm-hmm. stalls so just something to think about yeah yeah maybe this one she wasn't writing Hermione as a hat stall that I was something she, like, she came up with later it, yeah I, feel I like mean she honestly might not have had the like phrase hat stall made up at this point yeah, which is like no, totally definitely. understandable um but it's just interesting to think about because they don't mention Hermione taking a long time, but they mention Neville taking a long time. So. Yes. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. Um, and then, so then we have Dumbledore's speech and he doesn't say um, Nitwit Blubber Oven Tweak, which I, I for some reason, I totally thought he said it in the movie. Like, I, I was like, I was like, did, does this version like have a cutout? I was like, where, where was it? Um <laughs> But also with the Great Hall scene, sorry, um, the Bloody Baron is oh, like yeah. really goofy. Yeah, I wrote the Bloody Baron would never fly down the table laughing. No, like what? Um, so I just thought that was funny because even in the book, like he's kind of he's more one of the more well-known ghosts. Like we don't meet him in the first book, but like you hear yeah. that Peeves is terrified of him. Yeah. And like he's covered in silver blood. So it's not even like we don't know this about him at this point. Like, we know, but they still made him goofy. Yeah, I have a couple more things on the Great Hall scene. Um, One, about the ghosts. Like, their CGI is not great. It's not bad for the ghosts, It's, like, fine. And I just don't get why they were, like, able to do that and they were fine with that. But just cut Peeves entirely because of CGI. Like, honestly, even though Peeves isn't a ghost and he's, like, a poltergeist and, like, whatever I would have been fine I would have been fine with him looking the same as a ghost. I would have been fine with him just being a ghost in the movie yeah if, if that meant him getting included yeah um I agree a few other things about the great hall the Gryffindor table is not on the edge it's it's one of the middle tables um which just shows what we were talking about earlier with them moving around yeah Ron goes in on the drumsticks and it's relatable I love when his, he's, like, trying to pick one and then nearly had the snit comes out. It's so funny. Like, yeah. his face, he's, like, licking his lips. I'm like, um, it's so cute. And then Seamus's line about, <laughs> me dad's a muggle, mom's a witch. Baby shark, baby shark, how would you find out? It's so funny, but I also never realized how much that's taken out of context. Because, like, in the book, they're actually having a conversation. Yeah. And then in the movie, they just, they kept that line for some reason. And they just have, like, Seamus, and it doesn't appear that he's speaking to anyone. <laughs> so that's uh... funny. Um, and then we go up to the Gryffindor common room, and... There are, like, 30 first-year Gryffindors, <laughs> but we know five of them. 
Yeah, they, my mom also no pointed sex. out. Yeah, my mom also pointed out, she was like, they're not clambering. They're just walking through the porch. I was like, good catch, mom. Good yeah, catch. Yeah, good catch, good catch. Um, so I think the next scene, are we done with the common room? I don't have much to say about the common room. I'm like, it looks great. I love it. No, yeah. And then the next scene is transfiguration class, actually. Oh, um, I'm McGonagall. Transfiguration. Then I just have that in the book. They don't like they talk about Harry and Ron like having trouble getting to class and yeah, stuff. Yeah, they're not late though. But they're not late, and I actually really love the addition of like McGonagall calling them out for being late. I think it's funny, and yeah. like her just sitting there. I think it's great. I do something I thought of when I was watching that though was like, what are those kids doing? Like, how late are Ron and Harry? Because yeah. the kids are all like quietly writing. Like, are Harry and Ron like twenty minutes late? Like, McGonagall's already started the lesson, <laughs> or do kids just like start like sit down and start writing and they're like just two minutes late or something? I just like was very confused about what yeah, was happening, like what the kids were doing in the background. Yeah, yeah. And um, we've talked about her transformation already. Yeah, so then we have potions class, and a lot of Snape's speech is, like, like word for word. Um, word um, for word. I think they, they switch it around a little bit because he doesn't say, he doesn't open by saying there'll be no foolish wand waving or incantation in this class. Um, I think he opens talking about Harry being a celebrity. Yeah, he so also... So they, they, like, flip it around, but they keep the words the same. Yeah, they, he also never gives the answers to the questions in the movie, yes. but he gives the answers yeah. in the book. Also, this scene when they show Harry writing, I don't know if this is me just being, like, overly critical, but his writing just cracks me up every time because, to me, the handwriting that I've shown, like, is not an 11-year-old's handwriting. Like, it's way too yeah. good. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's very, like, very nice handwriting. And I'm like, no 11-year-old, especially, like, boys, writes like that. Yeah. And they definitely just, like had to have someone write it before because they wanted you be, to be able to see that he was actually taking notes. Yeah, it's just so funny. It, cr- it cracks me up every time. Yeah. Um, and then Seamus blows something up for the first time in Potions, which yes. it only happens once in the book and it's during... Char- or no, I think he blows something up. Oh, he's doing, the, he's doing the little spell in the Great Hall. Okay, what is he saying in this? He's like, Rah, 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 rah. Turn, turn this water into rum. I don't know what, what he's are saying. The, it's like it's like heart of rabbit half string yeah. rum. Like what? I don't understand the words that are being said. Like maybe they just are gibberish. But I'm just like I was really trying to listen this time and I could not understand. I think he's also just bad at enunciating. That could be. Um, that very well could be it. <laughs> but I love the Seamus blowing stuff up but I know that it only happens once in the book and it's during charms class when Harry like is paired with him from Wingardium Leviosa but honestly I think it's so funny um I like it too. I'm very happy with that addition I think the next thing is the remember all leading to the Quidditch lesson which can I just say why would Dean know what a remember all is also they to have me, Dean be the one to identify it, and in the book, Neville is it. Yeah. Also, a remember-all to me is just, like, one of the most useless things. Like, if it doesn't tell you what you forgot, then, like, why is it important? <laughs> yeah. Like, why, how is that helpful? Like, I feel like it I just pisses you, you off. Yeah, on every trip that I've ever taken in my life, I have this feeling that I forgot yeah. something. But if, if it just told me I forgot something, it's like, okay, my, what I, my feelings are confirmed, but what the fuck did I forget? Like, it's not helpful. 
I just it seems yeah. so silly to me. Um, and then so. also I have a note about the seven one three that you mentioned that in the yeah. news story they say seven one three, but it they don't say that in the books. They just say it was broken into on July thirty first, and then Harry's like, "Oh, that's the day I was there." Yeah, yeah. Um, and then we get flying lessons, right? Yeah. Um, the Hermione calling Harry an idiot is um, what an idiot. It's such a good line, and it really is. I love that scene because the way it like plays out is so. I feel like it's so accurate for the whole series. Like there are a couple of those in in this movie where like Hermione is like Harry, you don't even know how to fly, like, and you'll be expelled, and and then he does it anyway. And I think it just like really captures their relationship. <laughs> yeah, I also love that Zoe Wanamaker, who plays who, who wow words, who plays Hooch. I love that she's wearing yellow contacts. Yeah. It gives me life that that, ha- that happened. And the CGI of Neville, like, banging around and falling is honestly just it's so, so funny. funny. It is so bad. It is so bad. It's so funny. Um, and then I can't believe they said the word ass in this. Like, that shocks me every Does he time say I watch it. Ass he says or arse. Arse. Yeah. But, like... Yeah. That, I mean, it's it's definitely, like, a British thing. Like, I don't know if arse is, like, a bad word in, in England. Um, I feel like it's probably borderline. Yeah. I mean, like, ass they, is kind of borderline yeah, anyways. Yeah. Um, but it's just, like, every time it happens, I'm just like, oh, my God. <laughs> um, also, if anyone ever tries to fight you on McGonagall being the best professor, just remind them that she just put Harry on the Quidditch team instead of expelling him and also bought him a broom. Yeah. And... This scene, they take out a lot of the, like, suspense of, like, is Harry going to be expelled? Because you're not in Harry's head. Yeah. But she's so giddy and excited when she gets wood and tells him. She's like, I found us a secret. It's so cute. Yeah. Also, just, like, thinking about the logistics of this scene is wild to me. That they literally just put him on the team after him flying for one time. Doesn't know the rules of Quidditch. Like, literally They haven't explained nothing. Quidditch at all. I mean, it's just so funny to me. Also, this, I love this. Not that I love it. Actually, I don't love this. Sorry, just a whole thought process happened in my head. So in the books, Harry, like when McGonagall says, can I have wood? Also, they go to Flitwick's class in the book, not Quirrell's class. I think that was just like a reminder of Quirrell. And Quirrell's holding the iguana. I've seen stuff on the internet about like, what the fuck was he teaching? (laughs) And it's like, yeah, really, what is he teaching? And McGonagall says like, can I have wood please? And Harry literally thinks he's like, it's it's a stick that he's going to get beat with. And as I was typing that, I was like, oh my God. I bet it's because of like the way he was raised. Like he Mm -hmm. was expecting to be beat. I think that says a lot and speaks to kind of this, not age old debate, but this debate and the Potter fandom and talking point of like, was Harry physically abused because we know he was like emotionally and mentally and verbally abused by the Dursleys yeah. but was he physically abused by them and I think this says a lot yeah I agree that's a good point um okay so then we have uh Hermione the twins, the twins. Well, no before we have the, the twins, twins. Can, give me more baby James and Oliver Phelps because I love they're them. so cute yeah 
I can't. They're so and goofy. then we have Hermione. Yeah. yeah, so then Hermione just, like, happens to have found <laughs> the Quidditch plaque in the uh, in the trophy room, and she brings Harry there. It says that McGonagall, it says 1971 under McGonagall's name, which, like, doesn't fit any of the timelines we have. No, that's, like... She would be, like, 30. Or, no, yeah. she'd be, like, 40. Um... Also, very clearly shows that James was a seeker, which we've been told is not true. Even though, like, yeah. honestly, I call bullshit on whatever the author tries to tell us. I feel like he's, he was a seeker. I'm going to change my head, my canon. <laughs> also, something I just thought of right now. Hermione is so much, like, closer with Ron and Harry in the, in the movies, movies yeah. than she is in the book. Because, like... They are not friends with her until Halloween. Like, this... They, like, don't spend time together no. until after them. Like, she's there in their classes and stuff. But it's just... It's weird to think about. and takes away from the, like, Ron statement, I think. And then, like, them yeah. becoming friends later. Because it's like, oh, they're friends. And then Ron says something mean. Like, oh, they're friends again. But no, they weren't friends at the beginning. Right. So the way that this happens in the book is that... The whole, like, setup for finding Fluffy is that Malfoy has challenged Harry to a duel. Yeah. And it's a setup. Um, But Neville and Hermione end up coming along because Neville, I think, was, like, asleep outside the common room. Yeah, it's cold. Because he he couldn't get back in. Yeah, he was on his way back from the hospital wing. Yeah. And and, he couldn't remember the password. Right. And Hermione goes with them because she's, like, telling them not to go out after curfew and then she gets like locked out yeah because they she follows them out but then they turn around and the fat fat lady's not there um i was like i'm not gonna just stand here i'm gonna go with you like i'm not gonna stand here waiting to get caught yeah i wish that they kept the like malfoy challenging him to a duel in just because i think it's funny um and i think like it serves the same purpose as them doing the weird thing with the quidditch plaque yeah also, this scene is so confusing to me. So, like, they're on their way back from the Quidditch plaque. They get on the staircase, and Harry's like, what's happening? I'm like, Harry, how long have you been here? The staircases move, you idiot. And then, so they the staircase takes them up to this ledge. And then they just walk into that door. And I'm like, weren't you, like, on your way somewhere? Yeah, yeah. They just, like, go into that door while her... And then they're like, wow, where are we? And Hermione's like, oh, we're at the third floor corridor where we're not supposed to be. And then they continue... Like, she just, like, doesn't say... She doesn't stop them from going into the room, even though she obviously knows that they're not supposed to be there. Well... Like, it just... They go in the room because they're hiding from Miss Norris. Well, no, they, so they go in through the door, and then once they're in there, Miss Norris is in there, oh. and then they go into the door with Fluffy. But yeah. the first door that they go into is just to get to, like, the corridor, or whatever they call it. And Hermione knows immediately that it's the third floor corridor. So I'm like, why didn't you say that before they fucking open? you went inside there? It yeah. just doesn't make any sense. Um, the other thing that doesn't make sense is, like, when they... so. When this all starts, I, I'm pretty sure they're, like, outside talking about Quidditch, and it's yeah. daylight. And then Hermione takes them to the trophy room, and then the whole thing happens. And then when they get back, it's, like, they get back to the Gryffindor common room, and I think you it's can see empty. out the window that it's dark. And Hermione yeah. says, like, I'm going to bed before we get killed or worse, expelled. Expelled, yeah. And it's, like, how much time passed? <laughs> <laughs> but I also, 
want to know the delivery of that line by, her, by Hermione and Ron saying she needs to sort out her priorities are really, really good. I, yeah, so good. So I believe the next thing is Quidditch. I, yeah. yeah, I think so as or well. Or like Wood explaining it. Yeah, and I think that this scene is great. It, it serves a purpose to teach Harry about Quidditch and the viewers. I will have say, never seen it before. The funny thing is that Wood explains Quidditch wrong when he says, if you catch the snitch, we win. Yeah, you win. I'm like, but well, then, it's not true. But then <laughs> kind of. Lee Jordan gives you more context later when, like, I think when Harry catches the snitch or at the beginning of the match, he says something about, like, 150 yeah. points for catching the snitch, and that seeker ends the game. Yeah. Yeah, I... I I think it does everything it needs to do. One detail that I'm not going to take credit for coming up with. I've seen stuff about this on the internet. So when Wood releases the snitch, like, he immediately loses sight of it. He's, yeah. like, looking all around for it. But Harry keeps his eye on it. And I think that's, like, just a really great, like, Harry's good at this kind yeah. of thing, you know? Even though in the book they don't even release the snitch. But. Yeah, because he doesn't want to lose it. Yeah. He wouldn't lose it with Harry around. No. Um, and then the next thing is Charms class, right? Yeah. That's the next thing I have. The OG Flitwick, which I did not realize till this moment, was the same actor. It's Warwick Davis still. I thought is that it? they changed the actor, but it's just Warwick Davis with a ton of like prosthetics on. Are you for real? I'm no I'm not shitting you. If you Google Flitwick Sorcerer's Stone actor, it's Warwick Davis. What? Yeah. Isn't okay, that wild? So they just gave up on the prosthetics. Then. I think it so I think it was probably that, and also I was like trying to figure out why they changed it if they weren't changing the actor. And I think one of the reasons people have speculated is also because like Flitwick and McGonagall are supposed to be friends from like when they were at school together mm. like they're supposed to be closer in age and so okay. i think they like w- when they like age him they aged down, him down, down to make him okay not look like he's 300 years old okay i have two points about this scene two very important points that i've never noticed before one devin murray who plays seamus finnegan his eyebrows are still gone like they're still growing yeah, back in that yeah. scene and then he gets blown up in the face again two this is like really almost sad for me to admit, but the Leviosa quote is I have this written down not too. in the book. Yes, in the book she says it's when Guardian Leviosa make the gar nice and long. Yeah, which I've, I I can't believe I've never realized that before. Like I feel like a fake fan. I think I realize it every time I read the book or listen to the book, and then forget about it. Yeah, because that scene is just, because that quote is just too um, good. But, like, good on Emma Watson for making that movie quote canon, honestly. <laughs> That's uh, entirely her. Also, Grumpy Rod is my favorite thing. Like, when he's like, you do it then. And then Hermione does it, and he just, like, puts his arms in the books and just, like, pouts his, I just can't. It's too cute. So funny. Uh um, so next is the Halloween feast. Halloween. So do you have anything about the feast? It's like yes, two seconds. I've, I've one note. Okay. Percy, when they show him like kind of turning to get the first years, you see him wearing a prefect badge. Oh, okay. Which I've never noticed before, never but I like that. that detail. 
Um, then the troll scene. Yeah, my note is that people sleep on the fact that Harry and Ron actually locked the troll in the bathroom with Hermione before they saved her. Also, can we talk about... Okay, in the books, Ron and Harry approach this door, and there's a key in the lock, and then they lock it with the key. I'm like, why is there a lock outside of a public restroom, and why is the key in that lock? It just makes... And so I was like, oh, maybe it's like a personal bathroom. Like, it's just one. Mm. But it's not, because they talk about sinks, plural, Mm -hmm. in that scene. So that, like, really confused me, and like... Is some shady shit happening in the Hogwarts bathrooms is my question. Yeah. Other than a troll breaking in. Second, (laughs) the troll is supposed to be 12 feet tall. Like, they mentioned that in the book. Tell me how 11-year-old Harry jumped high enough to (laughs) grab its neck. Please tell me. (laughs) He's an athlete. (laughs) Yeah, he jumped so high. I mean, maybe the troll was, like, bending down or something, but, like, that is just so funny to me. Like, its neck is at least 12 feet in the air. Yeah. Or 11 feet in the air, I apologize. Like, and Harry's, what, four feet tall? Yeah. (laughs) Um, Uh, And then again, the CGI. Yeah. Also, the point system, which I feel like we can just talk about this later. We should have a whole episode on points because it really just makes no sense, but... For comparison, they lose, or they get five points each for taking down the troll. And then McGonagall docks them 50 points each later when they're out after after curfew. And it's just like, I think it, part of, you could explain this by like McGonagall, like being particularly hard on Gryffindor's. Um, like, I feel like that's in her character to, like, she would, like, not give them a lot for, like, doing something good and, like, give, take away a lot for doing, like, yeah, a small Yeah, but she still thing. only takes five away from Hermione. Yeah. I think she was yeah. just, like, fed up. She was yeah. just like, I'm fucking done with you children. Just side note about this whole scene. I'm very confused on Hermione's cover-up story. Why could she have not just said that she was in the bathroom and then Ron and Harry, like, went looking for her because they noticed she was gone? Why did she have to say that she went looking for the troll? It comes to the same thing and doesn't, like, make her seem bad. Like, maybe she's trying to cover for Ron and Harry for, like, locking the bathroom door, but she could just not say that. Yeah. Because the troll did go in there. Like, I was just very confused. I don't know. I feel like, but that does more for, like, them creating a friendship after. Because, like, yeah. now she's, like, actually, like, taking one for the team. For Yeah, I mean, she's, like, lied about it, but she, she didn't, she didn't she need, need to. to. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah. So then. Quidditch. Well, before this, Harry's supposed to see Snape's leg in the faculty room. When he, because yes. Snape like has taken, confiscated his Quidditch through the ages. ages. Um, but then, in this, you just like see him limping in the Great Hall. I think. Yeah, they do cut out a lot of the like quarrel Snape scenes. Yeah. Um, because later on they cut the whole Gryffindor Hufflepuff Quidditch game. Quidditch game yeah. And so Harry doesn't like follow them into the forest. Yeah. Which like Harry's like um, up in a tree like. <laughs> yeah. Uh, at the Quidditch game, again, 
continuity, not error, Devin Murray's eyebrows are still looking rough. I love it. I literally think they shaved this boy's eyebrows off. Yeah. Um, um, which couple, is hilarious. A, a note before the Quidditch game is that they have Harry get his broom the day of the match, which makes no sense like yeah they also are like what could this be let's open it and find out i'm like you idiots (laughs) it's like the it's like the scene in prisoner of azkaban too yeah with the fireball um another thing about quidditch is like i noticed this when harry and wood were like walking onto the pitch next to each other like i forgot how wild it is that literal 11 year olds play sports with 17 year olds that is such a big game age gap yeah it's wild like 17 year olds are like like pretty much full-grown like adults like not cognitively but like very much so physically yeah and 11 year olds are children yeah it's wild i mean they talk about harry being the youngest seeker in the century so it doesn't happen very often yeah also, with the Quidditch game, Lee Jordan's commentary is just not as good as it is in the books. No, it's, it's so not. funny in the books. Ugh. But he's so cute anyway. I love him. He is. I also find it very ridiculous that, like, Oliver Wood just goes down, and then they don't have a keeper. And then Angelina Johnson just goes down, and then they only have two chasers. Because, like, that, I mean, that doesn't happen in the books. Like, no. they, Wood is so plain the entire game. But that's just wild to me that that happened. They're just playing with five people instead of seven people. Yeah. Um, one thing that I noticed is that they put a, a, a girl on the Slytherin team as keeper. Which, oh, I did not in the books, that. Slytherin never has a girl on their team. Um, and I also love that Harry just is, like, watching the game. Like, same. Yeah. Um, so I have a very nitpicky thing. About Quidditch. N- about this game in particular. So when Harry's broom is bucking in the air, like, everybody stops playing the game, right? And they're, like, circling around. But Flint mm-hmm. scores five times. Yeah. So let me just ask you about the logistics of a Quidditch game. So Flint scores, but none of the Gryffindor players are playing. So are you telling me that there's no, like, formal restart to the game yeah. after a goal? Of course there's like, not. Like, the, 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 the quaffle doesn't, like, there's no, like, kickoff again, or the quaffle doesn't go to the Gryffindor keeper. Like, Flint can just, like, listen, continually have it. Also, those points do count. You can see in the thing. So they happen. Yeah. And then, why doesn't he score more than five times? Like, this is going on for minutes. He should have scored more than five times, you idiot. Listen, if, if they're going to let you. We know that that part of Quidditch is not thought out at all. <laughs> like, um, another thing about this match is McGonagall, like, giggles when Harry catches the snitch. And it's the cutest thing ever. I love Maggie Smith. Oh, she's so good. I feel like she's just, like, subsequently underused in the rest of in movies. Yeah. Like, not that she's, like a star in this movie by any means but i just feel like she's in it a little bit more yeah the first two maybe i agree um just another oh go ahead observation i made at this point in the movie draco is a lot more present in the books than in the movie like he's always there making fun of ron like constantly yeah and i think that 
I don't know. I just, it's weird because him making fun of Ron, like, almost gets cut out of the movies entirely. Um, but he just, he, like, makes fun of Harry for not having a family and Ron for being poor just, like, almost every time we see him. Which is so terrible. And they're supposed to, I think this is in the second, no, it's in the first Quidditch match, right? Where they're supposed to get in, like, a fight. No, that's the second second one. one? Yeah. Which is great. (laughs) I love that. And then the next note I have is the quote from McGonagall saying, you're meddling in things that ought not to be meddled in. (laughs) Literally. Or no, that's Hagrid. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. It's Hagrid when they're asking like more about Nicholas Flamel and stuff. And I think that's so funny. It sums up the trio for the rest of the series. Okay, wait, what happens after Quidditch? Do they have, like, that conversation with Hagrid and then goes to Christmas? They have that conversation with Hagrid because they're talking to him about Snape jinxing Harry. And he's Mm, like, no, no. And then they bring up um, the stone or the Gringotts break-in. And then it's Christmas. And so right before Christmas when Hermione says goodbye, they, like, mention how they've been looking for Nicholas Fumel in the library. And... Her mom, Hermione goes uh, Hermione says like good to, to Ron she says good you can help Harry um, look for Nicholas Fumel and Ron's like oh we already have been and Hermione goes not in the restricted section happy Christmas and then she just leaves and it's so funny it's so cute I also think it's really a smart way to introduce wizard's chest just like super quickly yeah. just like have a short scene showing what it is so that later when it comes back the audience recognizes it without having to be like a scene of them sitting down and being like okay so this is wizard you know what I mean it's like very clever right and Um, Christmas Christmas. in the books is literally the cutest thing I've ever I have a couple notes specifically about George in the books George first off makes Ron put on the Weasley sweater is like come on he's like come Mm -hmm. on Ron put it on Fred and I are wearing them that's when they say we know our names are Gret and Forge yeah (laughs) and then Percy comes down and George makes him wear the sweater too and says Percy you're not sitting with the prefects today like Christmas is about family (laughs) just about cried Um, I'm this reread I'm really gonna try to pick up on differences between Fred and George and mm, that's one yeah also George is the one to offer Harry like help with his trunk yeah in in the very beginning at King's Cross so those were just two that I noticed in this book yeah um it like really doesn't make sense that the Weasleys aren't there the rest of the Weasleys aren't there for Christmas um but whatever and also we miss out on the like Fred and George throwing snowballs at the back of Quirrell's head. <laughs> like Harry literally that. describes it as like his best day ever. Yeah. And it's just like I was getting emotional like reading about this in the book because it's just so it's so cute. Yeah. And the way Fred and George like fully embrace Harry, who they could have very well have been like, oh, he's just my little brother's annoying friend, you know? Right. But, like fully embraces him and has him be a part of the family. Harry puts on the Weasley sweater and spends Christmas Day, where George specifically says Christmas is a time for family. And they include Harry in that. It just makes me want to cry. Yeah, so then after Christmas Day, um, that night, Harry uses his cloak for the first time, and he goes to see, and he 
goes to the restricted section, but then ends up finding the mirror of Erised. And my one, like, big issue with all of these scenes um, is just that they they leave out the like they have harry just see his parents and i love 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 in the book how he sees like his whole family going back yeah so some like two changes that they make to that scene is the family yeah and then also he goes to the mirror of eric's head over the course of three nights in the book so christmas day he goes by himself then he brings ron the next night Right. And then Ron tells him not to go back, but then he goes back the third night, and that's when Dumbledore is there. So that's one of those times, like, what we talked about before, where they just, like, consolidate mm-hmm. without really taking anything out. Which is fine. Yeah, I think that's totally fine. The family, um, I don't know, I see why they did it. Not that we really have a connection to Lily and James either, mm. but just, like, having a crowded group of people might, like, take away from this specialness and yeah. that's word of like harry seeing his parents yeah also in the books they're like crying and i really wish that they were crying in yeah the, in the movie his parents yeah next i the next note i have is hermione finds out who nicholas flamel is right and i think that's my next note too is about harry's supposed to be the one who finds out because He's given Neville his last chocolate frog card from Hermione. And then because Neville got leg locked by Malfoy and then Harry gives him back the chocolate frog. Or Neville gives Harry back the card. Yeah, Neville gives him back the card. And I just like, I like how that happens. I get that like, it's not that big of a deal, but I think it's cute how it happens. And I like that it's like not Hermione figuring it out again, even though she like then elaborates on it. Yeah, she's like, oh, and then knows where to find more information about Nicholas Flamel. Yeah. But I feel like it also, like, in the movies, it just looks like they hadn't looked hard enough, and then all of a sudden Hermione just finds a book with him in it, where this is so much more like Harry had recognized the name before, and then, like, it came back to him at this point. Yeah. This is also, I believe, when Harry tells Neville that he's worth 12 of Malfoy. Yeah so cute and then neville like says that back to draco at the second quidditch match yeah and malfoy like laughs at him and she's yeah so yeah then the next thing they leave out is the quidditch match um and harry following snape like we talked about and then the next big thing well, is also the dragon, snape is right? referee in that yes. Quidditch match. yes that is big too um but yeah the next thing is like the, the dragon, dragon subplot Nor- norbert thing um, which uh, you have more written down about that than I do, so. Yeah, so just quickly kind of the change of the dragon subplot is what I called it in my notes. Um, this all happens in one night in the movies where, or like two, I guess over the course of two days, because the next day is when they go back, I think, and find out Hagrid had to get rid of Norbert. Um, but in the movies, this goes over like weeks. Like they talk about, how Hagrid had had Norbert for weeks and how they hadn't figured out what they were going to do with him. And then Ron gets bit by Norbert and is in the hospital wing. And then they plan, her Harry and Hermione use the invisibility cloak to take Norbert up to the top of the astronomy tower to get picked up by Charlie's friends. And Draco knew this was going to happen because he had gone to like, so Draco was, knew the entire yeah. time that yeah. Norbert he was, was there, him. but he was, like, waiting for the right moment, I guess, to, like, expose them, which is weird. Because, like I said, it's weeks. Then Hagrid. 
I mean, yeah, it's definitely a diabolical and mastermind because something falls into his lap because he goes to like taunt Ron about it in the hospital wing. And he takes Ron's book where Ron had kept the letter from Charlie saying like midnight on this day at the top of the astronomy tower. So Draco like does a little setup. Like he tries to catch them and tells Filch that they're going to be out that night. And they get past him because of the invisibility cloak, but then they leave it at the top of the astronomy tower. And then they're just, Harry and Hermione are just just walking without the invisibility cloak and then Neville is out of bed because he overheard Draco saying he was going to catch them and was trying to warn them about that so that's so the detention in the book is Draco Hermione Harry and Neville not Ron because Ron was in the hospital wing yeah Um, another instance of Neville just being caught but yeah, for sure. So that's kind of what the dragon subplot is in the books. In the movies, again, it's one of those things that they just consolidate to happening in like one day, basically. But also, about that, this is... So in the books, they get a note and they're like, Meet, your detention will be at 11 o'clock tonight. And then Filch takes them down to Hugger's hut and he goes, I'll be back at daybreak. So you're telling me that you're making these 11-year-old kids stay up all night in the forest i hope to god this was a weekend night because if they had to go to classes the next day that's like cruel and unusual Uh, punishment but yeah so then the detention um it's pretty good adaptation the 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 like cgi or like i don't even know if it was cgi animatronics or whatever of voldemort lying away was so bad (laughs) Yeah. Um, But basically, like, we get everything we need to get out of this with Harry finding out that, like, Voldemort is after the stone. Um, And then, like, Hermione's confidence in Dumbledore just made my heart swell because Harry's like, I'm done for. Like, I'm going to die because of Voldemort. And Hermione's like, but who did Voldemort fear? Dumbledore. And Dumbledore's the greatest wizard. And, like, you're safe as long as Dumbledore's here. Mm. So cute. Yeah, the two, like, little changes that they made to that, other than Neville being there, is that originally the groups were different, and then Neville, like, scared, or Draco scared Neville, and then they had to switch groups because of that. Mm -hmm. And they cut out other centaurs, and kind of their, like, they foreshadow a lot of things, like the quote, Mars is bright tonight, and they cut out a lot of their, like, foreshadowing for the rest Mm -hmm. of the books, which, again, I'm fine with. Yeah. Um, also, though, what I love about the scene is Fang. He's so freaking cute when he's, like, scared. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Or when they just, like, cut to his face after yeah. he's like, well, we get Fang. And then he's just, like, just chilling. And <laughs> he's so cute. Yeah. Um, so then, I don't know, like, general note is that the second half of the school year goes so quickly. And it, like, it kind of does in the book. Like, it definitely goes faster than the first half in the book, but, like, it is like three scenes in the movie because they don't find out about Nicholas Flamel until right after Christmas. And then they go into the forest and then like all of a sudden the next scene is them in final, like having finals. Yeah. In the books, there's a long period of time where like Harry distanced himself from the Sorcerer's Stone because McGonagall like scared him so much. He's like, no, I can't lose any more points for Gryffindor. Like I have to be good now. And so there's a long stretch where he's just like, they call it revising but I think that's like studying in Uh, British English where they just do a bunch of like studying yeah 
So then we kind of get to the night of the them going for the Sorcerer's Stone, which is like really sped up in the movies. But mm-hmm. another great quote is um, when Ron calls Hermione brilliant but scary, <laughs> um, talking about when she does the leg locker curse on Neville, which yeah. I I like the like the poetry of it in the book is that like Malfoy did it to him and then Hermione did it like it like kind of comes back. Yeah. But then we get into the room, so we can just jump into that section. Yeah. So the first room is the room with the trapdoor and with fluff well, with Fluffy. So in the movies the harp is playing when they get in there and they don't they're like, Oh, uh Snape must have like done this harp up and then it just like stops and then they all jump down together. In the books the harp is there, but it's not playing. So they, Hagrid had gotten Harry a flute for Christmas. So Harry plays the flute and then Ron and Hermione are kind of like fighting over who's going to jump down first because they can't see the bottom. Hermione's like, you do it. And Ron's like, I don't want to do it. And so then Harry gives the flute to Hermione and Hermione plays. Harry jumps down first and is like, you're good to jump down. It's a soft landing. And then they jump down Ron and then Hermione. So then when they jump down, they land in the devil's snare. So this is Sprout's defense that she put up. And um, from the book, this is like kind of a good quote. So I'm just going to read the dialogue because they change it in the movie. So Hermione gets through because she like just is calm, I think. And then she's trying to think of like how to beat the devil's snare. And I think both Harry and Ron are still stuck up there. And Hermione's like, devil snare, devil snare. What did Professor Sprout say? It likes the dark and the damp. And then Harry yells, so light a fire. And then Hermione says, yes, of course, but there's no wood. And Ron goes, have you gone mad? Are you a witch or not? And Hermione goes, oh, right. And then this is another thing that comes back from earlier in the book is that she like has her little like blue flames that she's really good at, kind of her signature thing. So she does that and gets the the guys through the devil's snare and one thing that I noticed in the movies is that they like talk about like good thing Hermione paid attention in herbology class but there's no herbology class in the entire movie (laughs) yeah I also in the books they don't fall down like there's just a door that they walk through I'm pretty sure oh I think you're right yeah it's because it says Hermione had managed to free herself before the plant got a firm grip. Now she watched in horror as the like boys tried to pull the plant off of them. And like it says that she made her way to the wall. Hmm. So I think that there's like a door there. So there's not there's not that like element of like stay calm and it's fine. Like they actually had to defeat the devil's snare, which I like better. Okay. I think. Yeah. Um, I totally forgot that. Yeah, I noticed that when I was reading. I'm like, oh, I, I just, that image of the, like, them falling down had just been so ingrained into my head. Yeah. But the next room they go to is, like, the chamber with the keys in it. And the biggest difference that I realized, again, I'd never thought of this before, the wings on the keys in the book, like, are bird wings. Like, they have feathers. Yeah. Um, because Harry mentions, like, oh, that one has crumpled blue feathers, which is so weird. I really like the change that they made in the movies. Um, 
and the keys don't attack him in the books there's just i feel like many more of them that just Mm -hmm. makes it harder to catch the one that they're looking for i do kind of like this scene in the movies though i think like it's cool to see harry fly yeah um, around and this was set up by flitwick yeah this was the flitwick room so then the next one is the chess room which mcgonagall put there um and it's pretty true to the book in the in the book ron takes the place of the knight instead of riding it um like he doesn't get up on the horse harry plays as the bishop ron plays as the knight and hermione plays as the queen side castle um and i was like thinking about this and we don't really know like how quirrell got past it um i was reading something that like maybe he just used a concealment charm Mm. and dumbledore people think that he just like shrank the size of the set or something like just like counteracted the curse instead of actually playing the game um which i thought was interesting all of that speculation um but then the main difference is that like ron stays behind and harry and hermione go forward yeah i do have some notes about this just super quickly what I realized is, like, can we please talk about how good of a chess player Ron is? Because not only does he win, but, like, he also has to be thinking about, like, keeping Harry and Hermione out of the danger. Mm -hmm. So, like, not only is he playing to win, he's playing to keep these two pieces in particular safe. Yeah. Also, what I noticed is Hermione doesn't move at all in the movie. She's in the same spot at the end that she is in the beginning. Which, I mean, maybe can happen in chess. I literally don't know how to play chess at all. <laughs> so I, I don't know if that's common or Ron just, like, finished it really quickly and played really well. I don't know. Yeah. Okay, so the next room is the troll room, which I really don't have a lot to say because it's not it's not really in the books and it's not really in the movies either because they don't have to defeat the troll in the book. So Harry and Hermione go through... And they get to this room and they're just like, wow, it really smells in here. And then the troll is just lying down and they walk past it. Mm-hmm. I see why it's not in the movies. It's very uninteresting. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so then the next room, which I think is like probably my favorite room, is the potions room that Snape set up. So as Harry and Hermione walk in, fire kind of like shoots up on both sides of them so there's purple fire blocking the way back and black fire blocking the way forward and there's a logic puzzle to drink this this bright seven potions that are lined up um so i'll read the the riddle quickly so it says danger lies before you while safety lies behind two of us will help you whichever you would find one among us seven will let you move ahead another will transport the drinker back instead Two among our number hold only nettle wine. Three of us are killers waiting hidden in line. Hidden in line? I think I typed that wrong. (laughs) Choose unless you wish to stay here forevermore. To help you in your choice, we give you these clues for. First, however slyly the poison tries to hide, you will always find some on nettle wine's left side. Second, different are those who stand on either end. But if you would move onward, neither is your friend. Third, as you see clearly, all are different size. Neither dwarf nor giant holds death in their insides. Fourth, the second left and the second on the right are twins once you taste them, though different at first sight. So the 
takeaway is that there are seven potions, three are poison, two are wine, one gets you forward and one gets you back. And the solution is that the smallest bottle will get a person through the black flame and onward and the potion in the rounded bottle at the right end of the line um, provides safe passage back. So that's one that Hermione takes and Harry takes the one to go forward. Hermione solves this um, and she like comments on how clever it is because a lot of wizards and witches don't have like logic skills i just think this is like i feel like this shows like a little ravenclaw of hermione i think it's a really great room and i think it's funny to imagine snape writing this like rhyming riddle (laughs) um the one thing that i was confused about when thinking about this room more is like how Quirrell solved this and like went forward but it's still set up so I'm wondering like do the potions refill well so that's something I wondered but in the books it specifically says like there's only enough for one sip so maybe Mm. he didn't drink all of the potion and just drank like half of it or yeah or like somehow he just was able to get through the flames yeah because I mean Harry does say that there's like not much in there yeah. So, and maybe that's like implying that Quirrell had drank some before. I mean, I don't know. I could also see it very well just being refilling. Yeah, I feel like it could just like magically refill. I don't know. Yeah, I do want to say quickly that I think that it gets a lot of heat for not being put in the movies, but I see why they didn't put it in the movies. It's yeah. not a very cinematic scene. Like, would you just have somebody read out that whole riddle, which is long. It's long. It would take up time. Um, and especially with, like, we've been, like, building through the room. So, like, the devil's snare, there's, like, a little bit of panic. Like, they're going to get trapped. Yeah. Then, like, the Harry's flying the broomstick around. And then you have the suspense of the chess game. And then this would kind of, like, bring it back down before going back up again. So I get yeah. why it's not in the movies. I just really like it as a room. So I wish it was in the movies. Yeah, it's just not very, like, action-packed. Like, you would just sit there, like, watch Hermione, like, think for a quick sec and then tell Harry. But they do still include that moment that's supposed to happen in this room, but they just put it in the chess room where, like, Harry Harry and Hermione say goodbye. Hermione's like, you know, you're better. Yeah. Friendship and bravery. You know, that, that dialogue. So I think they make it work really well. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that quote so much. So the last room is the one with the mirror of Erised. So first off, just the what what the defenses are. So Dumbledore had set it up so that I don't know how he did this. I don't know how this works, but this is what the outcome is. The only person that would be able to get the stone out of the mirror was somebody who wanted to take it but not use it. Mm-hmm. Um so that's why Harry is able, when he, when he goes to the mirror, he sees himself with the stone, but not using it. And he sees the reflection of himself, like, smile at the, like, smile with the stone and then put it in his pocket. And as he puts it in his pocket in the mirror, it shows up in, like, real Harry's pocket. But mm. Quirrell had been looking at the mirror, just seeing him using it. Um, so that's kind of the defense of that room. Now, there's a lot that happens in this room, and I think we're going to talk about that now. Um, First off, how do we feel about Voldemort's look in this movie? Uh, I don't know. I feel like 
it's creepy. So I get, I, I guess that they like got that right. Mm-hmm. You know, like it, it definitely like would scare like young viewers. I don't know. I guess I don't. I if maybe you have more to say on it. I just like feel like it's fine. I think it's weird that he has a nose, kind of. Okay, well, so I was like, thinking about that. Do we know when he loses his nose? Because he still makes a second, like a Horcrux afterwards. Yeah. So like we he don't know. very well could have had his nose on October thirty first, nineteen eighty. Yes. Yeah. Um. He because I was really thinking about that old. as well. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like we can't really critique, like, how they portray him because we just don't know, like, what has happened to him at this point. Also, he's, like, yeah. disembodied. Like, it's a whole, like, there's a lot of complicating factors. I do like his voice. His voice is very creepy in this yeah. part, in this movie. Um, and yeah, he kind I mean, of does speak like a snake, right? Like, he does, like, yeah. do the S thing. Get the stone! <laughs> um... Yeah, I don't know. I also think that the quarrel thing wasn't as much of a payoff as it was in the books, just because he wasn't built up as much in the movies. Yeah, yeah. Like, we didn't see, like I mentioned before, those scenes between Snape and Quirrell where, like, Harry feels bad for Quirrell because he thinks mm-hmm. that Snape is, like, bullying him. I also don't think the Snape buildup was there in the movies either. No, um, no. So either way, if it would have been Snape or Quirrell, it just, like, wasn't really built up. And I get that that was with time and stuff. But I think that the Quirrell payoff is just... I was just thinking about this now. If you hadn't have read the books, I think that payoff would have been confusing and just not good enough. Yeah, because in the movies, it's just like, oh, we forgot about this character. But yeah. in the books, it's like, no, you actively thought this character was, like, good. and like Yeah. And was being, like, bullied the entire year. And Harry, there's, like, literally, like, phrases in the book where he tries to, like, smile more at Quirrell. Yeah, like, give him yeah. encouraging smiles while he's in class. To, like, kind of subconsciously provide support in his, like, defense to Snape. Because they think Quirrell's yeah. the only one that is holding out Snape from getting the stone at this point. Yeah. And I think just the other big issue with this scene is Quirrell's death. Where, like, in the books, he, he like, tries to touch Harry and he starts burning. And Harry then, like, touches him. But I think Harry, like, falls back and, like, faints or something. Yeah. Because, like, it's painful for both of them. Right. Whereas, like, in the movie, like, Harry just straight up kills him. Yeah. Also in the movie, so Quirrell chokes Harry. Yeah. Skin, hand to neck. <laughs> so dumb. And then nothing happens until Harry grabs his hand that yeah. is around his It's like neck. when Harry touches him, not the other way around. Yeah, which is just weird because then there's that weird moment in 4 when Voldemort's literally like, I can touch I can you now. Um, yeah. So just like contradictory to that. Yeah, that that ending is a little weird. I do I do really like the visual of him like crumbling down though. I think that's a yeah. really cool visual. Yeah. Um, but yeah, in the books, like they both like Perry passes out and is basically like, well, Voldemort can kill me now kind of thing. Yeah. Um, all right, so then moving on to kind of the last scenes, I guess. Um, I just have a few thoughts like wrapping up on what we see. Um, so in the hospital wing, Dumbledore still comes to visit, but that's when Hagrid is supposed to give him the photo album and they just push that to the Hogwarts Express. Hermione and Ron are also supposed to visit and Harry like retells them everything that happened once they left. Yeah. Um, but like, I'm fine with cutting those for time. And like, I like that they still have the photo album in the movie. They just 
Like, it's fine that it happens later, I guess. Yeah. Also, I feel like this is prime, like, Richard Harris doing yes. great Dumbledore. Yes. Yeah. And I just, like, those lines are so close to being, like, straight verbatim mm-hmm. from the book. And I love that because... I don't know. I'm definitely going to pay attention as we watch, but I do think that the first two books do a lot more of, like, straight dialogue yeah, from the books. Um, and I, I just love that. Because some of the, like, iconic lines that aren't in the books, I just feel so, like, torn about. It's like, is it a Harry Potter quote? Is it not a Harry Potter mm. quote? Um, and, I mean, there are great quotes in the books as well that they could use. Yeah. I just, I love that scene. And it's, like, peak Richard Harris being great as Dumbledore and getting that, like, twinkle in his eye quality yeah. that we talk about. Yeah. Um, and then the, the last note that I have is just something I picked up on is McGonagall looks so proud when Dumbledore is talking about Neville. And my heart just, like, uh, it shattered. It was, it was adorable. Um, and I, like... <laughs> The whole Dumbledore giving all the points and, like, making it perfect to be Slytherin is ridiculous. But it's, like, so cute how, like, happy Neville looks and how, and like, how Neville everyone is the so happy. One. And Neville's and the one that puts it over the top. And, like, McGonagall is so happy and, like, genuinely just, like, proud. And I love it. The, watching this scene, I got, like, weirdly emotional. Not that it was, like, weird. But, like, nothing emotional was happening on screen. But just, like... I don't know, especially when, like, Harry and Hermione, or Ron and Hermione are, like, up on that ledge thing, and Harry walks out, and they're, like, they just, like, have this cute little exchange. I was just, like, oh, my God, I'm gonna cry. (laughs) These kids are just, like, so cute and innocent, and I think that, like, later in the books, they obviously lose that because they get older, but just, like, the amount of turmoil that they were put through this year to then just, like, win the house cup at the end and see their joy, and all of the Mm -hmm. kids jumping up and down was, like... Like, there's a scene where Harry turns <laughs> and Lee Jordan... everyone's celebrating. Harry turns and Lee Jordan literally just grabs him and they start, like, jumping up and down mm. while they're hugging. Like, Percy looks so happy. Just, like, it's so cute. Yeah. It's, like, it's so good. Also, the order of the points are different. In the movie, it goes Hermione, Ron, Harry, Neville. In the mm. books, it's Ron, Hermione, Harry, Neville. Harry Neville. Yeah. Which is weird why they would flip-flop Ron and Hermione. Because, like, in the books, well, it's, like, Ron did the chess. Hermione did the... Po- like, it went that's like, kind of That's why, order. I think. Because Hermione's po- points are kind of for, like, the devil's snare thing. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's... I hadn't realized that. But, yeah. That's a good point. But, yeah. And then, again, I just love how Dumbledore has Neville be the last one to, like... Because he could have very well put Neville first. Because mm-hmm. no matter what, they were going to win. But having Neville be the last one is just, like... Yeah. Okay. Overall thoughts. I had a lot of fun watching it. Um, I don't have much more to say. I think it holds a special place in my heart um because like the kids are so cute and it's the first movie and like like they stay very well in some places um I do I feel like the major like things that I'm annoyed about them taking out like Neville being taken out of a lot of stuff and I think Draco being taken out of a lot of stuff because I think that that hurts more than just like this movie it hurts like the character development but the stuff that they take out, took out, I get why they took it out. 
Um, but overall, like, I don't know, I enjoyed it a lot more than I was, like, expecting to. Yeah, I agree. I think we, we've touched a lot of, on a lot of the stuff that I have in, like, my overall notes, like, um, kind of just the consolidation of a lot of things and making it all happen in, like, one night as opposed to, like, weeks sometimes. I think that works really well. I don't really have a problem with it because they still get in most of the stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the scenes with Quirrell and Snape I have notes about, Neville and Draco being cut out. Overall, I think this, the first two again, just do a better job of showing, like, the magic and the wonder of the wizarding world. Mm -hmm. But yeah, now I have my iconic lines by Hermione list, so. And you are. And you are. (laughs) What an idiot. And then I love this one when she's doing like unlocking the door. Oh, move yeah. over. <laughs> and then, of course, the worst expelled line the Leviosa. It's Leviosa, not Leviosa. And then the honestly, don't you two read? <laughs> Those are just yeah. great lines. And I don't think Hermione ever gets like iconic lines like this ever again. Yeah. It's well maybe a little bit in teaspoon. Cha- emotional um, range of teaspoon. Yeah. But that's like that's in the books. I think a lot of these are not in the books. Like or worse expelled. Range of a teaspoon is. is in is in the Oh, you mean oh things that are in the movies and not the books. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah I agree. But yeah, just Wrapping up with Iconic Lines by Hermione. We love her. Hi, my name is Larry, and I'm a Slytherin. My name is Justin, and I'm a Slytherin. And together we host the Here's Johnny podcast, where we take a look at horror movies, TV shows... Oh, and games. We also have had amazing guests on the show that are directors, producers... And don't forget writers, Twitch streamers, and other podcasters. Yeah, and you can also check out our show every Monday. Just search Here's Johnny Podcast in your podcast app of choice. And you can always follow us on Twitter at Here's Johnny Cast. We are sure you will find an episode you will love. Maybe just like Ollivander's wands, an episode will pick you. Okay, time for our pop quiz question after that very long mammoth of an episode. Um, I just, like, I know we did this with The Crimes of Grindelwald, too. I feel like we just pick up so much in these movies, and I just want to make sure I say everything that I want to say because there, like, won't really be another episode to talk about these things very much. Um, So sorry that it's so long. (laughs) But for our question today... Oh my gosh, I haven't even decided yet. Um, what is your favorite scene from the movie? Okay, so... Do we want to do Facebook responses first? Yeah, I'm oh, reading okay. from Facebook. So, we asked on Facebook, we asked what your favorite scene from the movie is. Um, and also, what do you remember from the first time you watched it? Um, which we don't remember the first time we watched it, so we're not going to answer that question. But people answered kind of like a variety of things, so... The first response is from someone whose name I cannot pronounce. I know, I was like... Because it's, I believe in Greek, so I need you to tell me how to... Send me an audio file of how to pronounce your name, because I want to be able to pronounce your name when you participate in pop quiz questions, but I think it's like Anoa? Anda. Anda? That's a Delta. I have no idea. I don't know either. Okay. Well, thank you so much for said, your response. Thank you for your response. Please, please send us an audio file of your name. <laughs> um, we are hopeless 
English speakers. Yeah. So they said, well, the first two movies are kind of iconic scene by scene. I do remember, though, being impressed by the scene where Haggard describes to Harry the death of his parents at the Leaky Cauldron, although I also cropped my parents every time. And then they also said, and of course, Hermione's, or even worse, expelled line, epic, which I must agree. Yeah. And Anne said, I think it might be when Harry watches Hagrid open the wall to Diagon Alley, which of course is just so nice, like seeing that unfold. Yeah. Justine said, I love the scene when Harry meets Ron in the Hogwarts Express and when Hermione comes in then, of course... And Alex said, I remember Ron's accent reminding me of Oliver Twist, especially in the scene on the Hogwarts Express. Yeah. Which Alex is from England, so I think maybe she has more to say about the differences between the accents. (laughs) Different, like, dialogue accents of regions in England. So, actually, Justine kind of took mine, Mm -hmm. or I'm taking hers, but... I'll, so I'll give that answer is like I think probably my favorite scene is um, the trio in the compartment on the Hogwarts Express because I just like one of the things that I think I love so much about this series is the relationships that the characters have with each other and the friendship that we see of Harry, Ron, and Hermione I think is like really special and beautiful and I think um, that's just like the start of it all and on top of it like there's some comedic relief some great lines and it's just like really heartwarming and cute yeah. even though it's changed from the books um, but to give like another answer um, <laughs> I'll say uh, I really like the flying lesson mm. even though the CGI of Neville is terrible <laughs> I just think like that lesson is, like, it's really entertaining, and I love McGonagall coming in and just, like, taking Harry and him thinking that he's gonna be expelled, but ending up on the Quidditch team. Yeah, I think I, so I had an answer, and then I forgot it, and then I remembered it. So I think I kind of already gave mine away, but just the ending scene, I think, is my favorite. Like, basically from Dumbledore and Harry at the hospital wing to like the end of the movie Mm. it's just it's so good that part of the movie is so closely adapted to the book like we mentioned in the hospital wing scene there are so many just like straight quotes from the book and then Dumbledore like giving the points is basically just straight quotes from the book as well and seeing all of the kids so happy like I said it just like made me a little bit emotional and I just loved it it was so cute yeah, I think, like, those lighthearted scenes, like, we really hang on to in these first few movies. Yeah, for sure. All right, so after that monster <laughs> episode, I'm sure you know, if you're still listening, I'm sure you know where to find us, but you can find us on any of your favorite podcast platforms, and we will have another episode coming for you next Tuesday. Um, episodes released every week for the summer, and then we'll go back to every other week, probably. Yeah. Um, you can find us on social media at Wizard Studies Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. You can join our Facebook group if you want to get your input on the pop quiz questions and we, if you want us to read your answers out. Um, the Facebook group is Wizard Studies Podcast Group. 
And then we're on Twitter at Wizard Studies. Then you can email us at wizardstudiespodcast at gmail.com. And then just to quickly remind you about our Patreon page again, it will be live in 10 days. And we will have links and how to find that in our episode descriptions once that is live and our first episode comes out after it's live. As always, thank you so much for listening. And remember, just do your best. We'll do the rest. And learn until our brains all rot. Mm-hmm.